You're listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a resource to equip the church to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the More and Better Disciples podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. How's it going, Phil? Keith, it's good to be back in the good old U.S. of A. Yes, good to be back in the U.S. of A. and on the podcast as we dive into episode 13. And man, what a great week to be talking about uh, evangelism uh, because we are headed into Easter Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Easter is going to be great. I think we're probably hovering around 15 people that want to take their next steps in believers' baptism. Of course, I can't think of a better day uh, than Easter Sunday to get baptized, honestly, just because it is a, a tangible picture of death, burial, and resurrection. So man, we're, we're excited. Absolutely. I am also excited. And uh, we're actually going to be diving into baptism here in just a minute. No pun intended Sploosh. there. <laughs> but uh, why don't you, uh, could, could you give us a little preview of coming attractions with Easter? I know the theme is the promise, but you give us a little teaser without giving away the message. Well, in, in many ways, what we're trying to do is two different things on Easter Sunday. First of all, clearly we are highlighting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the promise of his resurrection, uh, that it was promised in the Old Testament, that it was delivered uh, in that empty grave. But at the same time, the passage that we're going to be uh, using and, and going from on Easter Sunday is in Acts chapter 2, where it does give a very strong case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his exaltation in heaven and all of those good things. But then it's specifically, Peter specifically, and he's preaching, he says, this promise is to you and to your children. And what's going to happen on Easter Sunday is not only are we going to talk about the, the, the resurrection from Acts chapter 2, but we're going to talk a little bit about that multi-generational promise as a way to tee up and to kick off our next teaching series, which will take us all the way through to the end of May, uh, that's all about making disciples of the next generation, that multi-generational uh, dynamic of, of making more and better disciples. And it's going to be very practical, very, very good for all generations, for parents, for grandparents, for anyone who has a child or a teenager or a student in their sphere of influence. It's going to be a great, great series. But as you can see, the Acts chapter 2 passage talking about the resurrection acts as a just an awesome springboard into that next generational emphasis when it says this promise is for you and for your children. Yeah, that is awesome, and I know that it's going to be great. We promise uh, that it's going to be great, and uh, just so excited about Easter Sunday. But even before that, we've got a really cool opportunity coming up on Good Friday called the Good Friday Experience, where uh, we're inviting our church family to come out and kind of walk through an immersive experience going through uh, some reenactments of the final hours of Jesus's life leading up to the cross. I think this is going to be an awesome opportunity for families. Um, that's this Friday night, right? Yeah, that's going to be a great thing. We're trying it this year. You know, there's nothing wrong with trying something new. Uh, you know, contrary to popular opinion, sometimes it's okay to do something new, and we're going to try this. We believe this is going to be a great opportunity again, a multi-generational opportunity, very hands-on, very user-friendly, and I think when people walk away from the Good Friday experience, they're going to walk away with a profound sense of the meaning and the power of the death of Jesus Christ. 
Absolutely. And that is this Friday beginning at 5 p.m. Uh, tours will be leaving every seven or eight minutes. It's just a come and go thing. It takes about 45 minutes. So we hope that all of our listeners, if they're listening before Friday, uh, will make it out for the Good Friday experience. That's right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our topic today as we are getting close to wrapping up our Evangelism 101 series. Um, we've been talking about um, how to share the gospel. And last week we went through that in detail just the basics of sharing the gospel with someone. Um, This week, we're going to talk about next steps. If someone does uh, accept Christ, hopefully they do, uh, then what? And specifically, uh, we're going to talk about baptism. So, Phil, when we talk about baptism, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people depending on their background. Uh, There's many different opinions and variations of baptism out there. What does the Bible say, or does the Bible give any specific insight on baptism and the proper method of that? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Keith. And first of all, as I share with folks, and I have been sharing with folks for the last week or so, meeting with some baptism candidates, uh, we call it believer's baptism. And there's a reason why, because in the Bible, you never see anyone baptized prior to uh, making a conscience, personal decision to receive Christ, to repent of their sin, to place their faith in Jesus, and to begin to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why we call it believer's baptism. That's pretty simple. Uh, the method, or some, some people use the word mode of baptism, is baptism by immersion. Uh, and this is where the basic, <laughs> the basic language of, of the original New Testament is, is heavily in favor of believers' baptism by immersion because the word baptized in, in English is simply a transliteration of the Greek word baptismos or baptizo, depending on the form of the word. And uh, it, it literally means to immerse in water. Uh, there's no way that you can possibly have a biblical baptism unless there's some extreme situation where someone's you know, uh, tied to a hospital bed and they can't possibly leave. Maybe they're a terminal patient of some kind. I, I don't see how in the world you can have a biblical baptism unless someone is immersed in water. And the reason being is because of the picture of baptism and, and how it's associated. I mean, Romans chapter 6 and other places, we see the, the correspondence between the, the burial of Jesus Christ and baptism. Baptism is meant to be a burial, and there's only one way you can bury someone, and that's to put them completely under the ground. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, clarifying that. Um, So, you know, Phil, a lot of times when I talk to people about baptism or about salvation, you know, I'll ask the question, um, you know, do you know for sure if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? And sometimes people will come back and say, well, I was baptized at this point, and they seem to associate baptism with salvation. Um, is baptism in and of itself required for salvation, according to the Bible? Yeah, so I think the simple answer there is no. And uh, the bottom line is that we're saved by God's grace through faith. That's what Ephesians 2.89 says, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, and baptism would be a religious work just like anything else. Uh, you know, going to church. Oh, I, I go to church at least once a week. Or, uh, you know, I give my money to God or whatever. I mean, all of those are just religious works that are important that follow salvation, uh, but certainly don't precede salvation and, and they don't save in and of themselves. 
Uh, certainly the classic example from the Gospels would be the thief on the cross, you know, who died. There was no baptistry around anywhere. He wasn't baptized, and yet Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And it's, it's very difficult to talk your way around that, although I've run into some people who have. Another interesting argument for the fact that baptism is not the point of salvation, but rather it's faith, is because Paul the Apostle was adamant when he talked to the Corinthians. He said, look, I didn't baptize hardly any of y'all. In fact, he said, I'm glad I didn't baptize y'all, except, and then he listed just a couple of exceptions, right? He said, I'm glad I didn't baptize. My job and my calling is to come and preach, right? And preaching brings about the response of faith. Uh, so baptism does not save as far as, as, as we understand the Bible. Now, clearly there are some scriptures that people will bring up, uh, and, and, and we don't want to get too far afield on this, but there's a few that people often bring up to say, well, wait a minute, what about, or yeah, but... Mark 16, 16, it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh-oh, what do you do with that one? Well, first of all, if you look in the, the marginal notes in your Bible, most Bibles will say that the last several verses of the Gospel of Mark do not appear in any of the best manuscripts of the New Testament and most likely were never included in, in Mark's Gospel. They were added later. So clearly, and by the way, the same passage that I'm talking about that says whoever believes and is baptized will be saved is the exact same passage that also says you should handle snakes and drink poison. So, uh, you know, pick your poison in a sense. Um, but really the biggest verse of them all that people will bring up is 1 Peter 3.21, uh, which is at the tail end of a passage where Peter is talking about Noah and the ark. Uh, verse 20 of 1 Peter 3 says, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Then here's verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I would say, along with a lot of very solid Bible scholars that this does not teach that baptism saves as we understand baptism. Uh, clearly, there is a correspondence here between Noah's ark and the water in the day of the ark, and then, of course, baptism. Now, of course, there, there's a phrase in verse 21 that says baptism, which corresponds to this. That's a very technical term that's only found twice in the New Testament, uh, it, it's, it has to do, and I don't really, I, I seriously don't want to get too far afield on this, so just just rein me in here, Keith. Just rein me and yank on my leash a couple times if I'm, if I'm taking up too much time. But in, in the Bible, there's typology, and there's a type and an antitype. And the type is basically, uh, a, a type is basically a nonverbal prophecy or prediction. So in Noah's Ark, and, and we see this in other places as well, Noah's Ark was a type of Jesus Christ, right? Noah's Ark, while it didn't say, Here's a picture of Jesus, you know, or here's a picture of the Messiah. It was it was a nonverbal prophecy of what would would eventually happen. Okay, obviously the water in the Noah's Ark story didn't save anybody. As a matter of fact, it almost killed Noah, and it was a symbol of God's judgment, not of salvation. The Ark was the symbol of salvation. So there's more going on here than simply a straightforward comment to say baptism saves you. That's why it says baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. Uh, and clearly what they say is not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't receive that through baptism. You receive that through salvation, repenting of your sin and accepting Christ. So 
there, there's so much more that could be said about 1 Peter 3.21, but I totally believe, as we teach at Crossgate Church, and, and the vast majority of Bible-teaching churches will, will tell you that baptism does not save, and it is not necessary for salvation. Well, thank you so much for that clarification. Woo, and, let me take a breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a, have a drink of water. You earned it. Um, I, but I appreciate you clarifying that because it is a point of confusion for a lot of people. And we always want to ask that question, what does the Bible say? Um, and so I appreciate you tackling that. Well, you know, that kind of does beg the question, though, Phil, if baptism is not required for salvation, why is it so important for believers, particularly someone who has decided to follow Christ? And, you know, is it something that can just take place in my backyard, in my pool, or down at the lake? How does that work? Great question. So first of all, and this is really the only reason necessary for telling anyone they need to be baptized, and that's because Jesus commanded it, right? I mean, if he's your Lord and he asks you to do something, you probably ought to do it. Right, So the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There you go. I mean, I want to be obedient to Jesus, and if I've just accepted Jesus, boy, I want to do whatever he tells me to do. Now, in terms of the public aspect, yes, baptism should always be public because it is a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Through baptism, you are identifying with Jesus. You're identifying yourself as a follower of Jesus, and a, a, a private baptism, honestly, it kind of doesn't pass a smell test. So let's say someone came to me and they said, Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil, man, I just got saved. Boy, I love Jesus so much. Well, let's talk about getting baptized. Yes, let's talk about that. Could we just go down to the boat ramp, maybe like after it gets dark and just you and me and just knock out this baptism thing? Because I don't really want anybody to know about my baptism. I'd say, brother, I'm not so certain that you got saved in the first place because you should be willing to you know, profess this in front of everybody. By the way, that's one of the things I love about doing baptism at Crossgate Church, where we bring our portable baptistry out into our mall area, and it's surrounded not only by hundreds of people on the ground, but you've got people cascading up and down the stairs, and you've also got all of this second floor, these balconies and these, these, these uh, railings, and people are just hanging off. I mean, it's, just, it's a big party, honestly. I, I love it. So, yes, baptism should always be public. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, um, I, I've had people over the years, and even myself some, who have been a little nervous about making that public profession, you know, not wanting to be in front of all these people. Um, but you're right, the, the kind of faith that saves us is the faith that is not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And you think about, um, even, you know, in the Bible days, what that meant to publicly profess that you are a follower of Jesus. In a lot of instances, that could cost you your life. Um, so it was a huge, huge deal, um, and uh, I, I really appreciate you bringing that point up, that we are publicly making that profession of faith. Yeah, Hot Springs, Arkansas, I mean, yes, absolutely. If you make a big stand, a public stand for Jesus, that's wonderful, but I mean, it's not like people are going to come after you in Hot Springs, Arkansas, if you get saved and, and tell everybody you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but there are plenty of places in the world where you are putting it all on the line when you lift your hand and, and you get baptized and say, I'm all in for Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so let's say, you know, we've been talking about evangelism and how to lead someone to Christ, um, and we definitely want to encourage them to take their next step um, in, in following in baptism. But how do we approach that topic? Because like we said, for some people, it is a little confusing and a little intimidating. So how would you suggest we go from someone who has accepted Jesus to now encouraging them to be baptized? Well, all I got to say is at Crossgate Church, I mean, we, we've established such a culture here 
that bringing up this this topic at Crossgate is too easy, man. It's a softball pitch because every single Sunday, at least two to three times, people are hearing the question, what's your next step, right? And of course, within our, our broader next steps disciple-making strategy, it's important to know that that being baptized and following the Lord and believers' baptism is all part of that, of that first step called make a decision. Trust Christ, be baptized, and then of course, join a group, become a member and meet a need. And so, you know, we're always asking this question, what is your next step? So if I was talking to someone who had recently trusted Christ, let's let's say a couple of the guys who got saved out at Men's Elevate, right, just recently, it would be so easy for us to simply ask the question, hey man, what's your next step? Because everyone's asking it, right? It's all part of the culture. I mean, we it's a cultural expectation at Crossgate that you're, somebody's going to ask you, what's your next step, right? So we've teed that conversation up, I think, pretty well at our church. Yeah, yeah, and the truth is that we all have a next step to take, regardless of where we're at in our journey. That's right. Um, and until the Lord calls us home, uh, we have a next step to take, and so that's a great reminder to always be asking, what is my next step? Well, speaking of our journeys, uh, Phil, I'd like to hear kind of your baptism story. Uh, how did how did that take place for you? Yeah, so uh, I've shared with our congregation before that I was baptized as an infant uh, by my grandfather. He was a Lutheran pastor in our hometown in Lake Wells, Florida. I think I was baptized probably about two weeks after I was born. Obviously, it was a very meaningful day for my parents and certainly for my grandfather and my family, but honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about it. And so, you know, I just kind of made my way through life, grew up, continued to go to church. Again, I had been baptized as a baby, uh, but honestly, I, looking back, I didn't have a relationship with with God. It wasn't that I was out and out against God, but I just, I didn't have a, a, a an active living relationship, certainly a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, growing up. And then by the time I was a teenager, it was pretty much go to church on Sunday, live like hell the rest of the week. And I didn't have any real personal connection with God. Uh, right about the time I was 17, in fact, just, just almost 33 years ago next month, April of 1990, a couple friends from high school invited me to their youth group. It was at a church, a solid Bible-teaching church, evangelistic church, and I went to their youth group a few times, began to hear the, the gospel as we understand it now, just the very simple gospel. Uh, I actually went to a few of the Sunday morning services as well, and again, they ended every single service with a with a clear gospel invitation, and after two to three weeks of hearing that, I remember going home after Sunday night church back in the glory days when we went to church on Sunday night, right, Keith? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I remember going home after church one Sunday night, and I said, Lord, I, I've gone to church all my life, and I, I believe in you. I mean, I know you exist, but I've never heard this before, just this very clear presentation of the gospel. I need to get in on this. And I guess in a sense, I kind of led myself to the Lord because I just prayed right there and received Christ. Started talking to the student pastor about that and the pastor, and uh, so that was April of 1990, and then early June uh, I, I said, I need to get baptized. I'd seen enough people get baptized already, and I knew that was my next step. So, it, I mean, it was a, to me, it was a no-brainer at that point, uh, understanding what the Bible says. And so I, I experienced believer's baptism and made my public profession of faith in uh, June of 1990. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, as you share that, it reminds me a little bit of, of my story and some similarities. Yeah, what's your story, man? Yeah, so I grew up in church, um, you know, much, uh, you know, similar to you. Um, but when I was five or six, I remember um, making a profession of faith. And honestly, the only thing I remember about that is hearing a story about heaven and hell, and and knowing that hell was a scary place, and I didn't want to go there. Um, and so I made a profession, prayed a prayer, uh, was baptized after 
after that. But as I got older and in, into my teenage years, I did not uh, really have a desire to follow Christ. I wasn't really living for Jesus. Um, and uh, a lot like you would go to church, you know, sometimes on Sunday, um, but during the week just kind of uh, did my own thing. And then when I was 16, I started going to this church, and honestly, there was a girl there that I liked. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, was her name Hannah? No. Oh! No, but thankfully that did not work out. Um, <laughs> God and His sovereignty... Uh, you know, bless me uh, tremendously, um, but uh, you know, made some friends there at that youth group, and that's what kind of kept me coming. And the thing was, I was in a really dangerous place because mm. I knew all the right answers. I I had heard the gospel, I, um, I I knew it, I knew the right things to say, how to act in front of my youth leaders. And any time the question of salvation was brought up, I always looked back to something that I did. That's a box that I checked. Yes, I did that when I was five or six. Um, but my heart was not his um, until we went to uh, to a, a camp. It was a Thursday night, and, and I remember very clearly the Holy Spirit revealing to me that I was not following Christ. Mm. I was not a, a, a you know his at that time. And man, I walked down and just fell on my face and, and was crying, surrendering my life um, to Jesus fully. Um, and, and asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And it was that night that um, that my heart began to change, and I knew something was different. And, you know, my youth leaders told me at the time, well, you went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, mm. and you recommitted your life to Christ. But as I got older and looked at the Scriptures and really studied what that meant, I realized that that was when I was actually saved. Mm. Um, and, you know, the Holy Spirit convicted me that since that moment I had never been baptized um, and so I was actually in my 20s in Bible college when uh, God showed me that and was able to share that testimony with the church there in the Bible college and was baptized in Bible college. So you kind of got your baptism on the right side of your salvation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Praise and, God. And there may be some folks that are listening right now that that's them. They maybe were saved later in life um, and realized that they've never actually been baptized after salvation. What would you say to them in their next step? Well, obviously, baptism is not something you want to just enter into lightly or be cavalier about it. But uh, again, the, the one of the chief uh, reasons why we get baptized is to make a public profession of faith. And so, I mean, I certainly encourage people, if you if you realize that, yes, maybe you made a big step toward the Lord earlier in life, although looking back, you, you realize you probably didn't get the real thing at that point in time, uh, although you were baptized then, uh, but then much later you have, you have come to a true, no kidding, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm all about having that public profession through baptism, just because I think having your baptism subsequent to salvation is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would encourage anybody, if you have questions or you want to take that next step, uh, you can email me directly, keith at crossgate.org. Would love to help you take that next step on your faith journey. Well, we are out of time for today, so we're going to wrap it up. And uh, looking forward to next week as we continue and wrap up our Evangelism 101 series. Thank you so much, Bill. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Keith. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.